are being dismissed, you can make your way to Psalm 103. I know there are a few pew Bibles scattered around there if you have your own paper Bible, which I recommend as the, uh, as, as the way to go through it. Um, you can turn there. Uh, if you want to get on our Wi-Fi, I think you could probably figure that out. Passwords Heartland, it's really tricky now. Um, and so you can get an app if you want and get there. Psalm 103, we're going to be walking right through that thing uh, today. So uh, you'll need to be there looking at the words, as I am assuming you are. Uh, there. It is a, a rich text. Uh, I've always said that if I could just preach uh, whatever I wanted uh, all the time, I would just preach like straight through the Psalms over and over and over and over again, because I find that the Psalms are this collection of like everything Old Testament, New Testament, binding them together, doing it so beautifully, and I just love it so much. But you guys, lucky for you, don't always get a Psalm every single week from me. But today I got to pick, and I picked a Psalm. So, uh, so it's a good one. Um, so what we're doing here as Parkview, kind of the bigger thing, Parkview, the other two campuses, Central and East Campus, uh, they're, they're teaching this week and next week, we're all teaching on prayer um, because this is a big thing. Uh, this is a value that I'm learning about at Parkview is um, these are the couple of weeks that we really push prayer. We think about prayer. Uh, we'll have an, an, an Ignite kind of prayer and music evening here coming up in January. Uh, I think January Sixth, I want to say, right when I say it, I know I'm saying the wrong day, uh, but uh, we'll, be, we'll be having, I'll give it a little bit of announcement about a, a prayer devotional that'll be coming out here to your emails here uh, uh, starting tomorrow, and it's a time where we just have this season of, of thinking through things and praying for things, and so the way that I want to approach that idea of prayer is maybe a little bit through the side door, and, uh, and I want to approach it um, kind of talking a little bit more about our perspective of us in the world and God and how he works in this world. And, and by talking about that through Psalm 103, it will shape the way in which we understand we approach that prayer, if that makes sense. Uh, I think so, I, maybe I, if I say this in a really crass way, so instead of telling you that God is not a genie in a bottle, I wanna show you who God is, and then maybe our prayers will be different than they are, have been previously. So with that, we will have uh, Psalm 103. I'm not going to have you stand today. We do that a lot, but we're just going to take this piece by piece. So I'll start off with these first five verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump right on in. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would, uh, that you would send your words to your people, uh, and, and I have been the one chosen to speak that, so please use me uh, humbly, confidently, uh, rooted in your word. Please give us a spirit of discernment that we may uh, chew on and process and, and delight in that which you have for us today. In your name, amen. As we close out another year, we prayerfully remember. We remember songs and photos, news, experiences, the people, the relationships that have made this past year all that is 2018. We go through this annual remembrance right about this time of the year because we know there's something, and maybe deep down we know that there's something about memory. Uh, there's something important about it that is very important to our own sense of identity, our own sense of a, a hope for future, our own uh, prayers even. We make this action of remembering right now at the end of the year a regular part of our everyday life, and it becomes more pronounced or intentional with the turning of the calendar year. We're creatures of memory. We immortalize events through photographs and social media, 
We remind ourselves of our most important allegiances through pledges, through creeds, through anthems. We build monuments. We engrave our own names in brick and stone and metal. We are creatures of memory, whether we acknowledge it or not. We know that, we are, that our memories are essential for forming our identities and essential for forming our understanding of future. We lean on memory for our confessions, for our petitions, for our thanksgiving. But our memories aren't as helpful as we would always like them to be. It seems that when we move outside of pledges and books and photographs, our memory isn't so accurate or so comprehensive as we would like it to be. We may think of it right now that we have really good memories and we remember a lot of things, but our day-to-day life shows that oftentimes our memory fails us on some of the best things. Uh, Now, we've got a quote up here. Uh, A wonderful preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he talks about this idea of memory in in a wonderful way. So I've got it up there. It's a little small, but you can follow along here. The, 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 The quote is... It's phenomenal. He says, memory is very treacherous about the best things. By a strange perversity engendered by the fall, it treasures up the refuse of the past and permits priceless treasures to lie neglected. It is tenacious of grievances and holds benefits all too loosely. It needs spurring to its duty, though that duty ought to be its delight. It's a a lament of memory. So today, Psalm 103, it's going to function as a wake-up call for our souls. I'm not saying that you or you or you or you are sleeping in your soul. We all are. And at any level, whether it be completely in a slumber or just kind of in this, this daze or whatever it would be, we need to wake up rightly. We need to wake up and see the reality that is God's blessing in our lives so that we might better interact with the world. We might better approach him in our prayers, in our motives, in our hopes. And so we get to the text here. We get to verse 1. The alarm goes off, and it says, Wake up, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And and, and somehow uh, the psalmist gives us this language to speak. He says, Soul, wake up. You aren't seeing things correctly. And as though, our, uh, as though we, we hit the snooze alarm, our soul hits that snooze alarm to that wake-up call, we get it eight minutes later, or I guess the next verse, because it goes off again, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. So there, maybe we're awake. And he says, Here is your task for the day. Now you're awake. Here is your task. Forget not his benefits. So today, I want to I look at this and ask this question, why do we need to remember? Why is that our task? When our soul is awake to the blessings of God, why, why must we remember? Uh, maybe I'll ask us a different way. What does God do that elicits our ceaseless blessing? Because it seems like that's what the first two verses of this passage are saying. So that's going to be our task today, to ask these questions. What does God do to, that elicits our ceaseless blessing? The next question we would ask is, uh, not what, but how does he accomplish these things? And then the final question is, why? Why does he act towards us in this way? We're going to see the psalmist answers these beautifully, and he answers them in the exact same way every single time. He says that God does these things because of Christ, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. Christ is all over the place here. Maybe not in name, but we're going to see how the Psalms bind together all of Scripture to say, wake up, God has given you Christ, and that is worth blessing his name ceaselessly forever. 
So, let's jump in. Uh, we're in verse uh, 3 and 4. Uh, 3, 4, and 5 is kind of where we're at right now. So, wake up, bless, remember the Lord, and bless Him ceaselessly. He forgives your iniquities. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So in these verses, we're reminded what God does. We're reminded that he, you can just follow along right here, the verbs. He forgives. He heals. He redeems. He crowns. He satisfies you all so that, that's an important one, so that, all of these are so that you are renewed. And that's beautiful right there. I think you're like, you can go home. Uh, that's, that's good stuff here. But as you can see on the screen, that's not all it says there, is it? It's not just a bunch of uh, God and then verbs that he does. Something that's wonderful in poetry, here's a little reading hint. As you read the Psalms, uh, the Psalms are not intended to give you a plot so much. Sometimes they do develop it through a plot, but they give you a character, they give you an idea, they give you some actions, and then the beauty of poetry, all the little stuff around it, uh, and that's what you see highlighted up here. What is God doing? It's not that God does a whole bunch of stuff for us. He does things that are qualified to be very uniquely him. What does he does? You can read along in the screen here. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good, also that your youth is renewed. Sit on that a little bit. What of those things can you accomplish or have accomplished in 2018? The correct answer is none of them. None of those things. What does God do then that elicits our praise and our blessing? He blesses us in a way that he takes away that which we cannot rid ourselves of. Iniquity, disease, death and life, uh, or death that comes from a life thrown into the pit. And he not only takes away those things we can't take away, but he also gives us the things which we cannot obtain with ourselves or from anyone else. He gives us true good and he gives us renewal. And somewhat mysteriously, renewal like an eagle. God does everything good and lasting. That's the short answer. What does God do? He does everything good and lasting that we cannot do on our own. And he doesn't do that. And I, here's the part that, that, I, that I love about the gospel, is that it's not this idea that Christians think of in a faraway fairy tale land. Wake up, remember this day, the things that God has done to you, all on the screen there for you in these first five verses, as he does those things and has done those things for you today, here in this real life. The incarnation says he cares about our bodies. He does this for you here in your life today, in your work, in your family, in your worries, in whatever baggage you brought here today. He does these things and offers them and takes them and he will do these things for you last year. He will do these things this coming year. And he will do these things every year that follows. God will be doing what is good and lasting for those who believe. So, what does he do? He does everything good and lasting. How does he do it? This part's fun. This part's big. <laughs> Verse 6. 
How does he do it? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And so he takes us here in this, in this, in this strange direction. So David is writing this psalm. He takes us in this kind of this strange direction. And rather than saying he does this stuff because he's super powerful and he can do it, he like takes us to this, this legal process of how this stuff has been accomplished. You know, I just wanted to know, you know, how did he heal me? It seems more like a medical question than a legal question. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Verse 7 and 8. He made known to us uh, his way, uh, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. This is where the legal comes in. God's holiness and justice was revealed to God's people in, what, uh, in, in the law, capital L, the law is sometimes what we refer to. I'll help you with this. Uh, it's also, the law is synonymous with the Jewish, like Jews today, what they call the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books there. The law. So where am I going with this? He made known his ways to Moses because these five books were written by the Holy Spirit through the hand of Moses. So he's given us that law. And not only has he given us that law, he made known his ways to Moses, but these laws reflect the holy character of God that he made visible in the acts that he made known to the people of Israel. That's the end of that verse, uh, verse 7 there, his acts to the people of Israel. He made himself known. I am this God and I give you this decree. These are my laws. But also, I'm not just telling you things from the mountaintop. I'm here doing these things. I am a holy God. Be this way because I'm holy, and I'm going to show you this holiness here. He made his ways, his character known to the people of Israel in the perpetual waywardness, repentance, and deliverance. But much like the Israelites, we are unable to keep God's holy law. This is a question that David is wrestling with here, right in these verses. It's kind of what turns the whole psalm here at this point. So uh, you can put up the next slide here. This is, a, this is a question that we may ask at this point. So if he gives us these laws, what's going on here? Uh, this question uh, and answer comes from a thing called the New City Catechism. Uh, so just kind of on a campus level, uh, we are going through, many, many of you uh, have actually taken part in teaching our children, third through fifth graders right now are going through the New City Catechism. Catechism sounds old and stuffy, it's not. Basically, catechism is a question about some wonderful truth of God, and then we learn an answer of some wonderful truth of God. And so we go through these, there are 52 of them, and so once, uh, once a week we're learning these, I think we've been past question 15 is where we're, this, what's on the screen, of the New City Catechism. Um, I think we're past that. So if you have a third through fifth grader, quiz them. Uh, they will know this answer. They should know this answer. And if they don't, it's okay. Make them know this answer. Um, so the question is, it asks this question. He gives the law here. Since no one can keep the law, what's its purpose? That's a great question. Uh, and, the, and the answer is, that we may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. So you can ask your kid, since no one can keep the law, what's its purpose? And if you know the song, you can sing it. It's super fun. And then they should answer that we may know the holy nature of God, the, sin, the sinful nature of our hearts, and thus our need for a Savior. That is something I want my kids to remember forever. That is wonderful. Uh, that's so simple and beautiful. And so they, 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 uh, they have this answer here. But they, they, the psalmist here is, a, is asking a very similar question to this at this point. I make a big deal out of this because it's awesome and we're doing that. But also, 
the psalmist is asking this kind of a question. He's asking a slightly different question. He's saying, if you have made your holiness known to Moses, you've required these things to us, and you've shown yourself that you're very, very serious about us keeping the holiness that is, that is in you, the righteousness, the justice that we see in your actions and in your words, then are you just going to be angry at us forever because we can't do this? We'll jump ahead to verse 10 and ask that question. He gives the law, but will he always punish us? Now verse 10 says, or verse 9, sorry, says, No, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his holy anger forever. Isn't that wonderful? There's something. We're turning this corner. We're getting to the good that he gives us. We're moving away from our, from our genie in a bottle requests of God to something very, very different in our nature and interaction with God here. So he says, no, he won't keep us there. And now jumping around these verses, we read that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 10, and so because of that unchangeable nature of God, he does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. We've not yet said Jesus here, but you probably are thinking a lot of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is the answer. How does he do this? So how does God give us everything good and lasting? To reuse some of what David has said here in these words, not according to our sin, but according to his compassion, as expressed through Jesus Christ. Mm. So, I'm... Never really going to get excited. We're going to go through these verses again and see where Jesus Christ is. Let's go back to what he does, but read them through the lens of Jesus Christ. So uh, you can follow along uh, in your Bibles. I'll be going from there, but then I'm going to have some, some, some scripture uh, from all over the Bible, kind of proof where this happens in Christ. So what does he do? It says, he forget, uh, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity in Christ. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He does this in Christ. That is a different kind of forgiveness than just saying, yeah, that was awkward, kind of messed up. He's forgiving something at a much deeper level than just an accident. He forgives our iniquity in Christ. Who heals you, uh, who heals all your diseases in Christ. Isaiah 53, 5 speaks of Jesus prophetically this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Ah, praise God. That's different than curing my illness right now today. We've jumped to a different form of disease. We've jumped to a different form of wound that we need to pray for. With his wounds, we are healed. Well, let's keep going. This is fun. Who redeems your life from the pit in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. He became that curse that we might be redeemed. He's not just redeeming some coupons. He's not just redeeming some kind of payment that needs to be there. He becomes that curse. This is a different kind of redemption that we might need to pray for. The rest of verse four. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy 
in Christ. James 1, 12. I, I just chose this one. There are, are many uh, allusions to this idea of crown. They're all wonderful. I just had to pick one for the sake of time. I'd encourage you to look up crown and how it's talked about in the New Testament, but this is the one I'm going with. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. I love that, that, it, that it's not just, uh, you know, you, you've, you've run this race and you, re, you receive the crown. That's one of those things. Uh, but it's not that this, this momentary, like, okay, God, like, right now I need the crown. Like, okay, when's the crown coming? When's it coming? And it's not this, this, this weird, infinite hoping for this crown. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And then up here we read in James, James 1, the crown of life. If we put those together, this crown of life is also a crown of steadfast love and mercy. The only way we can have that life is through the steadfast love and mercy of God embodied in Jesus Christ who wore a crown of thorns that we might wear a crown of life. Holy cow, this thing's amazing. Man, the psalmist didn't even know that was going to happen and he's already speaking to this. Crowns you with love and mercy in Christ. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good in Christ. This one's fun. Luke 6, 21. Jesus is on the hill. He's giving the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He is about to go and, uh, and break the bread and feed the 5,000 and that kind of thing. Okay, so all of that's there. He's speaking, talking a long time, and people are getting hungry, right? And then he gives this, these virtues, all of this list of virtues here. And he says, blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. And then John splashes into what Luke is developing here. And John says that later on, Jesus would say, and I am that bread of life that will satisfy you. That's a different hunger than maybe having money to buy food. All of those things in our life are real things, but they're not the eternal perspective that Christ seeks. That is the wake-up call we need that there are deeper things in this life than just your day-to-day needs. There is a deeper need that we can bless the Lord for ceaselessly. Christ is all over the place here. So, going back to the whole psalm here, it makes sense that all that is within me can bless the Lord because all that is done for me is not, in fact, within me. What, what is good within me is not of me, but comes through my union in Christ. All that I have received that is good and lasting has come through Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, he can heal you. He can renew you. He can forgive you. He can redeem you. He can truly satisfy you. All through faith in Jesus Christ. So my work, your work, our work is not in achieving that good, but in living out the good that is in Christ that is within us, pointing to the good that is within Christ that is in us, and blessing the Lord for the good with all that I am. That is our work in this world. So God does everything good and lasting in Christ. God works his righteousness and justice through Christ. But then why does God do it? That sounds crazy. Why does he do it? Well, it's because of Christ. 
We're in verse 13 now. As a father shows compassion to his children, so also the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why does God do it? It's because of his fatherly compassion towards us. As a father shows compassion, so also the Lord shows compassion. In his fatherly gaze, God sees man unlike man views himself. If you're like me, you place great importance on the immediate, the upcoming, what happened in 2018, what, what will hopefully happen in 2019. God the Father has a bigger, better perspective for you. You might need that in the next couple of days. God the Father has a bigger, better perspective for you as you think about the past year and the year to come. And as we read the following verses, we see that he knows, as a father would, he knows that each of our days are like grass, that our frame is but dust, that we're flourishing quickly like a flower in the field, but wilting after some time with the wind. And then we're replaced and remembered no more. Now, I want, I want to clarify, this doesn't speak to the insignificance of you and I in God's plan. We're very significant there. But it rightly places us in the story of God's infinite power and steadfast love. That is, we are a dot on the page in the story of God's steadfast love. We are a dot on a page in the story of God's steadfast love. We're in there. We're in that story. But we are not the story. I wonder how our prayers would sound if we prayed with this kind of perspective more often. That's a challenge. That's tough. And out of the loving compassion that the Father has for his frail children, we read on that he, uh, he sent his Son, he gave his Son, that we might be forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west, that we might be granted the righteousness of Christ. So he takes and he gives so that we might be called his beloved children. Oh, isn't that great? As a father loves us, he does something so that we can actually be his children. So, yeah, I just want to keep going here. Uh, the, uh, so we get to this, this part where he's settled everything, and he's given us our place, he's given us our understanding of what we should do, but we're not done with all these verses, are we? He says, he says a couple more things here. He says, these people who are called his children, the way that he views these people, uh, where am I at here? Verse 13, he, if Father shows compassion, so also the Lord shows, shows compassion to, and I don't want to miss this part. This is where we have to draw the line here. To those who fear him. Like sometimes we think God is going to love me regardless because his love is amazing. His love is infinite. And I might get some emails. His love is reckless for me. Um, but that's not how this works. It says he is, he is those things to those who fear him. That's the part where I feel like sometimes Christians get, get, get a bad rep or Christianity gets that bad, that bad rep because, because you say, oh, you're so exclusive. You're saying that it's for you and not for me. Oh, no, 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 no. Or saying it's for everyone who believes. You have the opportunity to believe. You have the opportunity to fear him. Because you come here to Parkview North and you're here today and hearing this, uh, whatever I'm doing, uh, it, it doesn't mean that he's going to love you this way and, and, and be this way. He does love you. He doesn't act for you this way. That's what I want to clarify. 
The love is always there. He doesn't act in this way towards you unless you fear him rightly. And so where does that fear come from? There's a diagram I should have drawn up, but whatever you can imagine. I'm going to just make huge, huge <laughs> signs here. So we have this idea of God's holiness, his, uh, what are the words here? His righteousness and his justice for all who are oppressed. He has this holiness, this justice, this righteousness. And the more of that we see, the bigger that gets, the bigger the chasm of our sin and our ugliness and our unrighteousness uh, which would be wickedness and our injustice and our unholiness. So we, we see the bigness of the chasm that's there. That should cause us to fear when we hear that the wages of sin is death. That's the right fear that we have. But he goes on, he says more there in verse 18. He says, to, he, does, he works in this way to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So this fear idea, this reverent fear, is also a part of actively doing. We don't just sit here terrified like, oh, the day is going to come, the king will come and return and judge all, and I am in trouble, and I'm terrified, and I just want to stay out of his wrathful gaze. But rather, it says, this fear also motivates us to live in a way, and what is that way in which we live? Psalm 103 has already given us this. It is blessing the Lord all of our days living in a posture of blessing the Lord all of our days and saying, you are great and greatly to be praised. It doesn't mean doing this and that and trying to appease this God. That's a, a lot of other religions, but not this one. That's a lot of other gods, but not this one. This one is relational, and he says, if you love and respect me, you will act in a way. And this psalm is giving us that posture, and he's saying, it is one where we are grateful, we are thankful, we, uh, we, uh, we bless the Lord seeing the work he has done in a deep level in Christ. And here's where he blows the roof off. He says, because this work that he has done is never changing. The, the Lord works righteousness and justice. He is steadfastly loving. These are things that don't change. So, our calendar will change, but the Lord will not change with it. We will, our, our situations will change. We may uh, change something at work, some way, for the better, for the worse, but the Lord will not change in his justice, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his work towards those who fear him. It may change in our relationships, but those relationships will not affect the deeper relationship to a God who doesn't change in his justice, in his righteousness, in his mercy, in his love. You see, a lot of things that I think about when we turn the calendar year are how many more books I want to read or what my diet will look like or whatever. I want to be something different and better this year. We don't need a different and better God this year. He is the same every day for eternity. And that is what allows us to bless him. And he continues to work this way towards us. God does everything good and lasting in Christ. God works his righteousness and justice through Christ. And why does God do it? Because God views those who fear and obey him as beloved children because of Christ. And now, this is, this is a part where he said, I've given you all this meat. And I, got, I woke you up, and then I woke you up again. And here's the last wake-up call for the, for the soul here, and it's a big, loud one. He gets to the end of this. It's like, and so if you didn't hear that, if you kind of dozed off in the middle of me, like telling you what the purpose is and why we're doing all of this, then I'm just going to let you know. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love 
toward those who fear him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's saying in all things, not simply all my soul, he has worked as high as the heavens are above the earth, as wide as the east is from the west. He has worked in all things, everywhere, not just for your soul. He's blowing this apart. He moves from a posture from within himself to praise throughout creation. And now he brings in these last verses, 20 through 22. It's like, it's like David, the psalmist, says to his soul and gives us words to say to our own soul, bring it all in, bring in the artillery, bring in the pots and the pans, turn up the volume on the stereo, get this person out of bed. We have got to make a big, big deal because we're no longer talking to our soul anymore. He speaks in all of this glory to bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his work, obeying the voice of his word. And then he, and he reaches out, he says, bless the Lord all his hosts, which we remember from a couple weeks ago, his warring angels, his ministers who do his will. And then the crazy one, bless the Lord all his works, even his actions. I don't know how that works. Even his works will bless his name. An inanimate action that takes place. His redeeming will bless his name. His satisfying will bless his name. His forgiveness, his healing, the act of doing those things will bless his name. Now we've just transcended time and space and we've gone into like insane world. Everything I could possibly name, get this soul out of bed. Wake up, remember the Lord rightly so that we can pray rightly, we can live rightly. And that is what the psalmist is doing here. And then he ends it so beautifully the way he started. So, by the way, if I didn't say it, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And that last time we hear it, and that last time we get it, oh, that's what you're talking about. I was a little hazy at the beginning, but it makes a lot of sense now. Wake up, remember rightly, and praise him with ceaseless blessing. This year, this day, tomorrow, next year, and forevermore. Let's pray.